0: Today, if you have your Bibles I'm going to invite you to turn with me in the New Testament Matthew chapter 7 Matthew chapter 7 is where is where we're going to be today and uh, I've entitled this message this is a this is a a teaching of Jesus um, that is that comes out of the Sermon on the Mount and it's it's a difficult it's a difficult teaching it comes towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus begins talking about his theology And some theology that we need and we need to understand and so I've entitled this message Everyone's a theologian so I don't know if you know that or not But everyone everyone's a theologian and you may not consider yourself a theologian But I'm here to tell you that everybody has a theology of God theology the word theology is a compound word Theo ology theo which means God ology means the study of or the belief of. So everybody, whether whether it's a lost person and whether it's a saved person, whether it's a person that doesn't know Christ, whether it's a person that does know Christ, everybody has a belief of God. Everybody has a theology of God. And you probably know that when you talk to people, people will oftentimes give you their theology about God. And so we're living in a time, right, where there are a lot of people that believe they're a theologian right now to where they believe that, that they know what God would say on this issue or they know what God would do about this and all of those other things. And so today I want to talk to you about this issue, about theology, about your theology, about everyone's theology. Because here, here's the deal. There are a lot of people that their theology isn't ra- grounded in Scripture. It's grounded in their truth. Fact is, it's not, it's not based upon truth. It is based upon their truth. And uh, for instance, the, the Amtrak deal, you, you know, the, the Amtrak train that crashed on the way to, to from Washington, to I think, to Philadelphia, and the, the, the engineer uh, was going, the train was going 106 miles an hour, 55 mile an hour curve, and it derails, eight people die, 200 people are hurt. And then all of a sudden, people start criticizing the train engineer, saying that he was texting and using his cell phone. He was texting and driving and caused the crash. Remember that whole deal? Well, the NTSB just conducted their study. And what they found was is that he was not texting while driving. His phone was locked up in a stowaway compartment, in a locker, in his bag. They've they've looked at over 400,000 data bytes of information. And what they found, there is no evidence that he he logged on to the train uh, uh, Wi-Fi, texted, called, or anything like that. And so they've exonerated. He's he's in it. He, He didn't do it. And yet, there's a group of people that are totally angry at him and suing him for texting and driving. Listen, there's some people that they don't believe, they don't, they, don't, they don't care about truth. All they care about their truth. They don't care about what the facts show. They just care about their truth. And so we're going to look at this issue today about everybody has a theology. And either you have a high value of scripture or a high view of scripture, you have a low view of scripture. This same thing was going on in Isaiah's time. If you're life journaling with us, you know this. In Isaiah chapter 8, when we journaled it on Saturday... All of a sudden, God is pressing into the prophet Isaiah. And he said, said, Isaiah, he says, people are are walking away from my word. They no longer have a high view of scripture. fact is, they have a very low view of scripture. And you need to press into them. And you need to press into them in such a way that they understand that it's my word and it's truth. And they need to have a high view of scripture. Fact is, God told Isaiah this. He said, look to God's word for instructions and teaching. And oh, and by the way, people who contradict his words... They are completely in the dark, is what the Bible says. In other words, the people that contradict his word with their lives and their words, that they really have no meaning, they really have no direction, they're just kind of wandering around, they're just kind of stumbling around. And so what God was telling Isaiah, what God, I believe, is telling us, is what would happen if we as a people group, as we as a community, had this high, high view of Scripture that every time we got in a situation every time we got into a problem every time we got to a crossroads we would always have a high view of scripture that, that, that it wouldn't be politically correct necessarily it wouldn't be based upon the culture it wouldn't be based upon emotion but it'd be based upon truth and let me tell you something this issue of high view of scripture what really drives your life and drives my wife uh, my life <laughs> Well, and I didn't think there was going to be a joke in this sermon. There's our first one. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm, I'm just going to tell you. I know, we'll take a break for a second. <laughs> this is re- I, I'm telling you, this message is is really a serious message. It's one of the serious, it's one of the hardest teachings of Jesus. And these messages are always so hard for me to teach because I like a lot of jokes, and some of the jokes are just be inappropriate with the text that we're looking at. And... Uh, and so uh, a couple of weeks ago I'll never forget I just got to get this out and we'll get back to this so this be your only joke probably uh, <laughs> unless it's by accident uh, a couple of weeks ago I was preaching and 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 so someone on the, the third or fourth row not in this service none of you guys so nobody looking at them like hey it's them and so uh, someone had brought their elderly mother to our service and it was her first time here and so I had I had said a bunch of jokes and some that weren't in my notes and one was kind of close to the line or whatever and so you guys don't realize I can like see you guys, and uh, not only can I see you guys, sometimes I can hear you guys and your phones. And so, uh, <laughs> and so, so all of a sudden I made a joke, and after several, and the mother, which they followed up later with a with a conversation with me in the pastor reception field, but the mother turns to her daughter and she goes, "Is he really a pastor?" And <laughs> I'm like, excuse me, I can like hear you. And so and so her her daughter goes, yes, and I think he even went to seminary. And then the mother goes, the mother goes, Oh my gosh. So so anyway, so this message, <laughs> this message that Jesus that we're gonna look at is just, I'm telling you, it is a somber message. It is a message that Jesus is talking. It's the sermon on the mount, and he's laying out his first sermon. And he's talking about this issue about how we handle issues, how we have a high view of Scripture. That Scripture drives everything in our life. Scripture drives every situation in our life. And we are more concerned with what Scripture says and what culture says or what anybody else says. But Scripture is what drives our life. And at the root of that, what really drives your life, and I'm just telling you, is your view of Scripture and your view of salvation. What do you think about scripture? Can you trust scripture from the Old Testament all the way through the New? And how does a person become a Christian? And what is salvation? And when we get into this, we've got to look at this biblically and not culturally. See, Paul was having the same problem. We're going to get to Matthew chapter 7 and 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5. Paul had the same problem in his church. And fact is, this is good for us to examine sometimes. This is good for us to look at. And so Paul says, examine yourselves. Now listen. He's not asking you to examine your neighbor. Don't examine your wife. Don't examine your husband. Not examine your kids. And so all of a sudden what he's saying, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. In other words, what he's saying, make sure you're a Christian. Make sure you have a relationship with Christ. And then he goes, test yourself. So he repeats that. Listen, in the Greek, that's like... That's like a screaming that's that that was a way in which they would write when they would when they'd say something more than once in a paragraph. They were they were like they were emphasizing it. He says test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves that Christ is in you. And so he is speaking to two different groups of people. He's speaking to one group of people this group of people and said you know what don't you understand God is in you. And maybe you've strayed away from him but you have power because he lives in you. And then the other thing he says is this. Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. Unless unless you're really not a believer. Listen, he's talking to church people. And this is a sober message. I mean, he's talking to church people. And it's not my goal. Just hear my heart. It's not my goal that if you're a believer to make you question your faith. That's not my goal. My goal is if you're a believer, this will give you some assurance that you know. But my other goal is this, that if you're not a believer, that you, that you examine your life, you examine yourself to make sure you're in the faith. Listen, let me tell you something. I know this isn't an easy message, but this may be the most, fact is this is the most important message 200 years from now. Because it's where you're going to spend eternity. What drives your theology, what drives my theology is what you believe about his word and what you believe about salvation. In the book of Titus, Titus 1.16, they had the same issue. And Titus writes and he says, he says he says they profess to they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works, they deny him by their life. I mean that's just shocking to me. Right? Someone can actually profess to know God and not be a Christian? Someone can can talk about that issue like they believe in God because we live in a time and I know, listen, I know that this this is not a politically correct message i know this is culturally we we have a lot of people now that are saying things like basically everybody goes to heaven right all dogs go to heaven and you do too and 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 all these other things but now all of a sudden we realize it's a little bit more narrow than that and he said they are detestable disobedient unfit for any good work and so paul had this issue in corinth and he's writing to titus and then and then jesus in the sermon on the mount I mean, he's talking about this issue, and as he comes to the end, there's four things that I believe God needs you to know, that I believe God wants you to know, that drives your theology, that drives your life, or that should drive your life. The first thing is this, not everyone will be saved. Not everyone, not everyone is a Christian, not everyone is going to heaven, however you want to phrase that, church terms, we use the word saved and lost. And maybe you're not familiar with that term, then you could phrase it. Not everybody is a Christian. Not everybody is going to heaven, however you want to phrase that. And so, chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus just begins talking. These are Jesus' words, not mine. And I understand their heart. And he goes on, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. That's circled in my Bible. Verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard That leads to life and those those who find it are few in other words you know what Jesus says Jesus says basically there's two roads I mean, we have a world that will tell you there's many roads to God right I mean we have we have people in our culture that their theology of salvation is like everybody gets saved and everybody goes to heaven and, and all of this other thing and they'll tell you things like guess what all roads lead to God and they'll tell you things like, every religion is basically the same. Listen, that, that's just a false belief. With integrity, if you studied every religion, you would realize not all religions are the same. And what Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, listen, there are not many roads to God. There's one road. fact is, he describes just two roads. One road that leads to God, one road that leads away from God. And so he describes two roads, but Jesus is the one that said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man, nobody, no man comes to the Father except through me. And then all of a sudden he talks about these two roads, life and, and, uh, and destruction. And in, in the New Testament, when, when, when Jesus was talking that, life equals heaven, destruction equals, equals hell. And so Jesus is saying there's basically like, like two roads. One that leads to me and one that leads away from me. There there is a road that leads to destruction. And he says, and on that road, man, it is wide. It is a multi-lane, double-decker, mass transit system. And it is huge. And many, many are on that road. And he says, oh, and by the way, that road's easy. Because you just go with the flow. You don't live a countercultural life. You don't stick out. You don't do it. You just kind of go with the flow. He says there's this other road. And it's narrow. And few find it. And it's it's hard. It's hard. Because it's it's hard to live countercultural lives. It's hard to live that life to where you go against the flow of society and Jesus said I, I just need you to understand one's wide and one's narrow and there's many people what Paul said and what Jesus is saying there, there's many people on the wide road thinking it must be okay because they're going the way of the culture they're going away of the majority where the majority of people are headed you know one of my favorite books of the Bible is like Proverbs. I I bet you I've read Proverbs more than any book because I've just just lived sometimes in the book of Proverbs. There's a proverb that says that every man's way seems right to them, but in the end, it leads to destruction. It leads to death. If your truth is rooted in you and your truth is not his word and you don't have a high view of his word, I'm telling you, you're in trouble. And Jesus is saying this this wide road, this this normal road, this this normal people road, the easy road. Jesus is saying it's not working. And, And we know that, right? It's sucking the life out of people. It's sucking the life out of a nation. And it doesn't end well for them. See, that's what God is telling Isaiah. God is telling Isaiah just to press in. Just to press in. And just to help people understand what it means to have a high view of Scripture and develop your theology out of it. And Jesus is saying, if you want something better than, ma- than the majority, if you want something better in life than the, the, the way the, the majority of the people are going, then you have to get on the narrow road. And yes, it's hard. Yes, it takes discipline. Yes, it takes decisions. Yes, it takes some struggle, but Jesus, that's where you find life, and that's where you find joy, that's where you find peace, that's where you find safety, that's where you find comfort. And so Jesus starts off with just ending this message, with this message which is hard all the way through, but all of a sudden, he just comes to this place, and he says, I just got to let you know, there's only two roads, and not everybody in life, you just got to view life differently, not everybody in life is going to heaven. The second thing that God needs us to know and that we need to know that there will be more lost than saved. There will be more lost than saved. I mean, watch this again, verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are are few. And so when you start looking at what what road is Jesus saying that goes to destruction, that goes to hell? He's saying the wide road where many people are on. And what word did Jesus use to describe the road that goes to heaven, the road that goes to life, eternal life with him? He said, oh, that's the narrow road. That's the few road. And Jesus is saying that there's there's more people on the road to destruction than there are the road to life. And and you know this, right? You know this in 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 whether it's in your profession, whether it's in the community, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your circle or, or, or sphere of relationships. You know that we know this as a community. When you just begin reading di- uh, demographics about Pueblo, Colorado, you learn that only about do you realize only about 5 to 10 percent depending on which study you look at only 5 to 10 percent of Pueblo is in church on any given Sunday the number is even less than that when you start asking hard questions about what is your view of scripture what is your view of eternal life do you have a high view of scripture or a low view of scripture in other words a low view of scripture would be this that man's culture is more important to me than than Scripture. And all of a sudden, Jesus begins talking about this issue of few and in many. And he goes on, in he verse fifteen, and he says, "Oh, and and beware, man! Beware of false prophets. Beware of people that don't have a high view of Scripture. Beware of those that don't have a high view of His Word. Beware of those that that say one thing and they like do another thing. Beware." beware of the people that profess to know God but guess what their personal lives they totally deny him they totally contradict his word and i'm not saying any christians are perfect please hear me on that but what jesus is saying and what they are saying is this is there's some people that they profess to know god and there is not like any evidence in their life that they even know him they even have a relationship with him a false prophet is someone that that, that says things like, well, my truth is, or I believe this, but they don't have any scripture. I believe God does this. I believe God is like this, but they don't have any scripture to back it up in their life. And he goes on and he says, beware of those people. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And then he goes on and he starts giving us some help because he wants you to be able to recognize the wide road and the narrow road. And then he goes on, verse 16. He says, oh, and you're going to recognize them. How will you recognize them? You're going to recognize them by their lives. You're going to recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are figs from thistles? In other words, he says, you know how you're going to know them? You're going to know them by their life. You're going to know them by their fruits. You're going to realize whether they have a high view or low view of Scripture. You're going to realize real quickly when they get into a situation do they do they apply God's word to that situation or not? And then he goes on in verse 17 and he says, "So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the disease tree, the disease tree bears many." All right, I'm sorry, hit a button. We'll read it. So every every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit verse 18 a healthy tree cannot bear fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into a fire and all of a sudden Jesus begins talking about it begins talking about a life you see Let me just tell you, it's not real personal when Jesus begins talking about a road, right? When he talks about a wide road and a narrow road. But then all of a sudden, Jesus starts using the word many and few. He's not really so much talking about a road as he is people and their destination. That's when it becomes personal. And then all of a sudden, he says, and and just like this tree, a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree, a healthy tree bears good fruit. Verse 19 again, he says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into a fire. And I I don't know if you've ever had like a diseased tree in your yard or diseased bushes in your yard. Uh, We have some in our yard. We have these lilac bushes that are just, uh, I hate them. They're like from Satan. I don't like them. And because I'm allergic to them and they're they're in our front yard and Karen loves the lilac bushes because she cuts them brings them in the house And then it you know, it's just kind of issues And so uh, and so we've had a pine tree that's grown up and the acidic drippings from the from the pine tree is Is like is like dripping on them. So so now they're deceased and they'll never they'll never bear fruit again. They'll never uh, They'll never bloom again. So Saturday morning I got the go-ahead and to just like cut them down and I don't know if you've ever done that but I got a chainsaw out uh, which is, like, really dangerous for me. I, I was texting with a, with a deacon, one of our deacons that's in charge of, like, pastoral care. And so I said, hey, you know, I'm out here. You, sorry, I'm slow about texting. Uh, I, I'm using a chainsaw, you know, something like that. And, and so he just put, praying for you, dot, dot, dot. I'll see you in ICU later. <laughs> so I'm like, well, thanks for the confidence. And so, and so I don't know if you've ever cut down a tree, but it's, like, violent, I mean, it is like, it is like, it is like violent. And uh, and Jesus is saying that that bad tree is going to be like cut down and thrown into the fire, which is a picture of hell. I I cut the lilac bushes down and I'm throwing them into the fire too to to fix s'mores for the grandkids. And so, uh, and and so, so Jesus is painting a picture that it just ends in destruction. He goes on verse 21 and he says, I mean, it even gets more shocking. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's more than just, it's more than just a profession. It's more than just a statement. It's, and he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one. Who does, the, who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I mean, you mean there are people who sit in churches? You mean there are people that, that claim to know him? You mean there are people that call him Lord and, and they're not going to heaven? Listen, let me just tell you something. This is just theology. You're not a Christian because you say you are. fact is, the Bible says in many places... That there are people who go to church. Paul had that problem in Corinth. That they're on the wide road and they don't even know it. Listen, you're not a Christian because you know how to get there. I know how to get to Denver, but I'm not, I'm not there. It's not only what you say. I mean James addresses, James had the same issue. James in 219, he said this. He says, he said, You believe that that, that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe. I mean, even the demons believe that and shudder. You think you're going to see the demons in in heaven? No. Why? Not because they didn't believe God was one, but because they didn't submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because there wasn't a change that happened in their life. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Good fruit and bad fruit. The doing. Listen, the doing in your life and the doing in my life is not the saving. It is the proving it is the fruit that comes out of our life. Jesus is the one that says, you know how you're going to know my followers? By the way in which they live. By the way that they love one another and care for one another. Verse 22, Jesus goes on and he says, and on that day. So here we go. I mean, this is where it gets really personal for me. Because now it's a shift and you realize, oh no, he's not just talking about a road. He's talking about people. He's talking about people I know and people that you know, people you go to work with and people you go to school with and people that are in your neighborhoods, maybe even people that are in your family. And he goes, and on that day, many, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In other words, did we not preach? Did we not preach in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Or do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. There's some people that will, there's some people that will push back about this. they man, this group of people he's talking about, they were once saved, they lost their salvation. They, they were once saved and they just wandered away from the church. No. No, because Jesus said, I never knew you. He didn't say I knew you once, and now I don't know you. Jesus said, Jesus said, What? I never knew you. And he goes on and he says, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mean, these are people that go to church, and this is a Bible believing, aggressive church. They're opening up the Old Testament scrolls together. They're preaching. People are meeting Christ. People are changing their life. People are getting saved. All those, they're, they're seeing miracles happen. This is a church that is passionate. Yes, you can be in a Bible believing, passionate, worshiping church. That's, that's why. That's why Paul said, Test yourselves. And Jesus basically said, Your life, your life wasn't reflective of the teachings of Christ. In other words, you were only a Christian in church. You only acted like a Christian in church. And then when you went out from the church, you lived like wide road people. You lived like Normal people, or you live like the majority. You handled your sex life, you handled your marriage, you handled your relationship, you handled your business dealings—not like narrow road people, but like wide road people. What he's saying is this: it, when God comes into your life, He changes you, and He changes your desires. I, I, I never will forget. I'm in my office and with a family and we're, we're, we're planning the funeral for an individual. And this individual met Christ late in life. And the kids and were in there and they're like, they're adults and they have kids and they're going to church and they're like, we knew our dad before and after he was a Christian. And our dad was a quiet man and a private man. And by the way, their dad met Christ and we baptized him and his wife in this church. And also one of the sons is the greatest testimony for any parent could have. And one of the sons said, you know what? I don't really know a lot about my dad's testimony because he was private. But here's what I do know. I know the season. I know the moment he accepted Christ because something changed in my dad. My dad wasn't as angry as he once was. My dad made decisions differently. And from that point on, my dad lived an example of what what a testimony. What a testimony for a dad to give their children that Christianity is not something for me that just happens in church and I live however I want outside of church. See, Paul lived with this tension. When you talk about becoming a Christian, most people focus on how they became a Christian. This is when I was baptized, this is when my parents baptized me. Uh, this is when I became a member. This is when I walked an aisle. This is when I prayed a prayer. This is, this is, when, I, this is when I did something. And most people focus on that when they became a Christian. Can, can I tell you what the Bible focuses on, just reading the Bible? It's when life change happened. True salvation is when your life changed. Your desires changed. Your life changed. And you begin to make decisions that lined up with Scripture. Listen, if your testimony is this, I got saved, I met Christ, and I didn't change, that is not a good testimony. In other words, I got saved, I didn't change, I was miserable before Christ, I'm miserable after Christ, wouldn't you like to be a Christian too? That is not a powerful testimony. Testimony in Scripture is when life change happens the last thing that I'd like for you to know or that God would like for you to know is this, is that you can know. You can know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may may know. You may know that you have eternal life. 1 John was written to believers to give them comfort that they were believers and that they were in the faith. And so, are you saved? Are you a Christian? Yes. How do you know? I remember. I remember when my life changed. There's evidence in my life. It just didn't change where I went Sunday morning or Saturday night. It changed my life. I got a whole new set of desires, I got a whole new set of direction. I mean, something took place in my life that I can't even understand. John goes on and writes in 1 John 2, 24, he says, Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. And what you heard from the beginning abides in you. Then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us. This is the promise of eternal life. Do you have a high view of his word? And so jesus would put this sermon title this way or paul would put this sermon title this way what is your theology everyone's a theologian everyone has a theology do you have a high view do you have a high view of his word was there a time when your life really changed i mean you know that it just it just changed And you have a desire. You just have a desire for His. You have a desire for His Word. Because you know it's truth. You have a desire for worship. And you have a desire to use your time, talent, and treasure for Him. You have a desire to live a life that produces fruit. To where you understand that the purpose of your life now is to live for Him and to serve Him. Is there a growing pattern in your life to where you're more loving, you're more thoughtful, you're more generous, you're more forgiving, and you're more humble? There are no perfect people in this church. Just forgiven. And true salvation is this, is when God makes you clean, and you get a new heart and you get new desires and God can God can change your heart and God can change your life that's what happened to the prodigal when the prodigal came home and God showed him this extravagant love and he just welcomed him in it's a picture of repentance that the prodigal went away from the father went to a distant country squandered his wealth and all of that other stuff and he realized I'm on the wide road and he came back to the father and the father didn't judge him the father welcomed him in and said wear the robe wear the ring wear the sandals which is a picture of the sonship it's a picture of the Trinity it's a picture of forgiveness and just just let me love you just let me love you and understand in me there's love and there's protection and there's comfort, and there's joy, and there's safety. So the question for us is: Every what is your theology? What is he saying to you, as a result of this message, what is he saying to you as a result of? of his word and maybe more importantly how does he want you to respond how does he want you to respond maybe you've never come to that place maybe just walking through this message, you, message you, you, you've just never come to the place to where you just accepted him you've asked him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life Well, this would be a great moment to do that To where maybe you're much like the prodigal and you've been going your own way and living out your own desires and all of those other things and you've realized, you know what, it hasn't ended well. And I want to move from the wide road to the narrow road because I want to live a life of good fruit. I want to live a life in relationship with Him. And so maybe this morning, maybe you just need to accept Him and enter into a relationship with him that is life changing that changes everything about you maybe you're on the maybe you're on the narrow road do you realize there are people around you that may be on the wide road and maybe your next step is just to have a conversation with them to share your testimony what God has done for you in your life because you love them and you care for them. Maybe you know you're a believer. And maybe you've strayed to the wide road and maybe you just need to change lanes and say I, I and change directions and say I'm coming home. I'm just coming home. Maybe this morning you'd say, you know what? I, I just need I need someone to pray for me. I I, I really do. I just I'm walking through an issue. I'm walking through a situation. I I have this prayer request. I just have this need. I just need someone just willing just to pray for me. We want to pray for you. So in just a few minutes after I pray, we stand. If you're carrying a burden, if you need prayer in any area of your life, just going to invite you after I pray in just a few moments as we stand up. As we stand up, that you'd step out, begin making your way down to the front. We'll have prayer partners down here. Uh, You just tell them your name, how they can pray for you. They'd love to have the opportunity just just to pray for you just to bring you encouragement and comfort and support. Maybe you want to have some spiritual conversations. We've had spiritual conversations after every service. We'd love to have spiritual conversations with you as well. So if you need prayer in any area, after I pray, we stand, you come. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for the power of your name. And Father, we thank you that we can have assurance of our salvation. And so Father, right now, for those that are are carrying a burden, Father, we just ask that they would just respond to you in prayer. They'd find comfort, encouragement, and support as we minister to one to another. For we ask these.